whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul loves to say, we are where? In Christ. We, the church, the true church. So I want you to think about a couple of things as we move through this kind of uh, scripture picture, so to speak. We are saved out of a life loaded with sin. Are we not? It's what this whole section has taught us. We were, as Paul says, on that same downward slide with the rest of humanity when God snatched us up off of it out of his mercy and grace. And when he saved us, and this is what hit me this week, when he saved Grady or Andy or Jeff, he saved us out of an absolute hostile, sinful posture towards God loaded with sins that were perfectly normal and acceptable habits of our life, weren't they? I think about the way the Lord saved me and how he just showed me my shameful life. Here's what I want you to think about. He saved us out of that life loaded with sin and sinful behavior, but we are saved into what? Christ and the body of Christ. And that's what I want you to see this morning. The body of Christ. And here's, here's what I want us to think about all the way through this. Because it has not let go of me. We were not saved unto an island unto our, ourselves to be sanctified. We were saved into the body of Christ to be sanctified. You see what I'm saying? The mature Christian, the weak Christian, the struggling brother or sister, the strong, the one who's already been through that trial and walked through it with the Lord and the Lord comfort them through it so that they can come right back and comfort that same person. That is this body of Christ that Paul is talking about being knit together. And I'll just say it this way. If we don't do more and more and more of what we did yesterday as a church body, where we are knit together, not in the superficial matters of our life and the joyfulness of being together, but in the real issues of our life, we are not being a faithful church to one another and to the Lord. And I want us to be. That's why I, right, I want, this is the shade. <laughs> I want us to be that church. I want the Lord's church to be that church because I think we've all been through enough churches to know that is not what's going on out there. We have brought the narcissism right into the church so that we get what we want out of it when we are to be bringing to the church this knitting together in love, right? And I think you'll see that, that, that this, Paul especially, just permeates this. But I, so let, let's turn to a quick word of prayer. And then we'll just walk right into this first page of this study. Father, we thank you for so much more than we could ever say. We thank you for so much more than we could ever think. Because we can thank you for the very thoughts that we have that honor you and praise you. 
acknowledge you. But we can give thanks as we should all day long, Father, for your work from eternity's past to bring dead sinners to life through the beloved Son that you treasured unto sanctification for the world to see the power of the gospel through the constant ministry of the Holy Spirit to do one preeminent thing and that is to glorify Christ and those whom he has redeemed as the testimony of his glory and his power and his praise. And so we just lift our hearts up to you in thanks for so much. And we do this in your beloved son's name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hush this thing up. So let's just look at this little kind of uh, picture and we've we've been working this is really this picture on the left is really what we've been working down this downward slide right the indictment on humanity although they knew God no doubt although they knew God there is nobody outside of that so don't be duped by that when you're witnessing there is nobody that's outside of that although they knew God they did not acknowledge God. They did not honor God or give thanks. Don't lose sight of that. When we encounter the, the thankless person, <laughs> that started with an inability to even thank God for the very breath they breathed this morning when they woke up, right? And their foolish hearts were darkened and that puts us on this downward slide that Paul has taught us about in Romans, because he's looking at all of humanity. And we're going to see that unpacked as we get on to, to chapter 2 and into the first half of chapter 3. So you, you see this giving over, which takes us from our fallen condition, hostile to God, and makes us even worse. Dr. MacArthur has, you'll find it on YouTube, just got posted the most hated doctrine in Christianity. And it is the doctrine of man. Because we want to take the truth about Scripture, what it reveals to us about our fallen condition, and erase that and say we're kind of at least neutral. A lot of us are good and honorable and pleasing to God. And therefore, you have this doctrine that flows out of it that, quite frankly, when you hold it against a book like Romans, you're like, where and how in the world can you possibly find that without just pulling this verse out and leaving all the rest of them behind, right? And this is the way Paul says it. When we move and we're snatched, right? The Colossians 1, 13 and 14, when we're, when we're literally snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20 there in the middle of your slide with the crazy little cloud on it. I have been crucified with Christ. One of the first verses I was taught to memorize by dear sweet Chuck Burge in the prison ministry. And I'll tell you why. Because my 
former life that was right there was haunting me. And it was taunting me. And on top of that, I had an entire religious family of a religion that is an affront to Christ that was trying to pull me back into that religion. Family, children, right? So you have no idea how this passage just was shade for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, now, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me. The unlovable, right? The sinful, the undeserving. He loved me. He gave himself for me. And every bit of the anchor that I hold to is in him. That's the faith that Paul is talking about. Here's what I want us to think about. The, the little cloud picture on your right is described in the scriptures we're going to look at about our present life. Being dropped into this work of sanctification, we are now putting off the sins we were saved out of and into Christ. Scripture is explicit about that. We are putting off the sin we were saved out of, and we are putting on Christ. And everything we are learning and coming to know about Christ through our understanding of the Word of God. So you see how inseparable and essential the Word of God is to our understanding of God, our understanding of Christ, and therefore our ability to be sanctified And Tina and I do a lot of counseling. We're counseling two couples whose marriages are on the rocks and bleeding. And if they are not going to cling to Christ and the Word of God to speak into that mess, nothing will. They will find placebos that may allow the marriage to continue, but the love that God ordained into that covenant is not going to exist. But the Word of God can shatter that if they truly are a believer. And the Spirit of God is working. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that is the way this body ought to be functioning for each other. Coming alongside, helping us put off. Because Grady's sins that he was saved out of, they're different than mine. They're different from Tina's. They're different from Judy's, right? So we all need that sweet, trusting fellowship. We have weaker brothers who in some ways are strong and mature in their faith, but weak over here. We have another brother or sister who's strong in that area and weak over here. And that's why the Lord knits us all together. And he has been, as you know, precise in doing that, has he not? Just look at the spouse he gave you. How beautiful is the Lord, right? 
So we ought to be putting off, putting on, and progressively being conformed to him to whom we've been given the mind of Christ, says Paul. Right? I want to read this from the armor of God that I read yesterday. This is a 400-plus-year-old old Puritan write to it. Spent 800 pages on the whole armor of God. 800 pages. And it is as rich as you can get. He says this. Strong faith, down at your, your bottom right. Strong faith frees the Christian from those whose thoughts from those thoughts which oppress weak faith. Strong faith frees the Christian from those thoughts which oppressed weak faith. And he cites Isaiah 26, which is Isaiah 25 and 6 is just a beautiful section about the, what is yet to come. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Right? And this is the set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind there so that all the travails of this world will not drag you back into it. The more faith, the more inward peace and quietness. And there's our measure. There's our personal measure. Peace and quietness. About what though, right? If little faith, then little peace and serenity through the storms that unbelieving fears will surely gather. And the Lord is faithful to shore that up, isn't he? Boy, he finds a lot of weak faith in me. <laughs> How hard is it just to turn your children over to the one who has them anyway and to just pray for them and not think you have to, right? Dot, dot, dot. If little faith, then little peace and serenity through the storms that unbelieving fears will surely gather. Weak faith will as surely take the Christians to heaven as strong faith. I love that. Isn't that so true? Let's just look at the thief on the cross. He didn't know a thing. Right? And he was with the Lord that day. For it is impossible that the least ounce of true grace should perish, since it is all incorruptible seed. <laughs> Which just reaffirms that it's God who gives us our faith, isn't it? In whom he gave a little faith, and whom he gave a great deal of faith. It didn't matter for eternity because they're both going to heaven. Because he gave them that faith. Because he brought them to life, right? Although everyone aboard the ship will arrive safely at the shore, yet the seasick traveler will not have so comfortable a trip as the man who is healthy. He's using an analogy. He's not jumping into a 400-year-old prosperity gospel here. Trust me, Okay. The sick person misses pleasant surprises during the delightful parts of the journey. But the strong man views it all with abundance and expecta of expectation. And while he wishes with all his heart he were already home, yet the joy he has shortens and sweetens his way 
to him. Isn't that wonderful? That's just how we ought to be living this life in Christ. Thus, Christian, speaking to us, there are many delights which saints traveling to heaven meet on their way there like this morning and like yesterday and like every time we get together and walk away and say, how sweet it is to come out of and into that, right? Besides what God has for them at the journey's end. Hmm. It is the Christian whose faith is strong enough to act upon the promise who finds and possesses these pleasures. There's a biblical basis I think by which he drew this from and I think it's worth going to in 1 Corinthians 11 and we generally kind of rightly place this in the context of the Lord's table. But what Paul also addresses here in this Corinthian church is when you people get together as a body, it makes me sick. Look at how selfish you are. So narcissism is not a new thing. Right? Genesis 4. But he says this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. it's not on your page, but it is in your Bible. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that is the course of our life. We ought to be examining every day. Lord, how did I fail to be faithful? Every day. So we don't have this kind of dump truck when we come to the Lord's table. <laughs> right. But the warning is quite serious, as we have rightly understood. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Interesting that he brings in the body, the body of Christ, the literal body of Christ and the spiritual body of Christ. Because the whole issue in the Corinthian church was just the horrendous way they were treating each other, was it not? The class system was alive and well. But look what he says. Verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And I think what that tells us is that we need to be discerning of the life we're living and the overall effect it has on our spirit and our bodies and our general course of life. And we can go right to the Lord because Paul makes very clear that it is the Lord. Right? And it's a bit of a picture of why the fall, Lord? Why all this sin? Why all this brokenness, right? Every bit of it until the very end, God brings into this existence to point us to the fact that there is a Redeemer from all of that. And so he lets even the body of Christ endure 
a lot of that, doesn't he? So go, go flip your page over, and uh, I'll read, um, and we'll see how far we can get through this. We've, we've worked a lot down this left column, but I want to just kind of give us a snapshot where we move from, in Genesis 1 and 2, from the very good of perfect communion with our Creator and the perfection of His creation to the fall and the certainty of death. We died spiritually immediately. And it's interesting in the scriptures as it reveals itself that death for Methuselah, we were in the 900 and something years. Could you imagine? 900 years in a fallen world that was two generations away from Noah's desperately wicked world. Can you imagine? The constant reminder that you need a redeemer from all of this and God has provided one, Genesis 3.15, right? Which is the Genesis 6.5. Where did we get to? Very quickly, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart were evil, only evil continually, constant evil. That is the mind. That's our Romans 1 slide. That is the bottom of the slide, is it not? Where we went from futility, I can, I can do it on my own, God, to a debased mind that can't even begin to function anymore. Function in the light of a true and known God. That's Genesis 6. That's generation after generation after generation with one beautiful Exception, those that the Lord snatches up off of it, right? But don't ever lose sight of that passage, that we are without excuse. Everybody, unless God's a liar, everybody who's ever breathed life is without excuse because God has made the call beautifully known, right? Now, I want to go back to this theme about the church and being saved out of sin and into life. So slide over there at the bottom, middle, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and I want to just remind us where we come from, right? I think we all know. But Paul says so wonderfully in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you, best words in this whole section, were dead. That's the best part of this whole passage. You were dead. And sometimes that old man is right here, isn't he? I think that's why God gives us child rearing. <laughs> Just to put it right in our face, right? You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, some of us, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, recite that passage 
or have someone read that passage that comes out of a religion that believes they are born righteous and just get more and more righteous as they become more religion and all of that is what saves them. Have them read that passage and help them prayerfully because their response will not be loving Go up to Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we are, here he comes again. For we ourselves, once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, intent to do harm, and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Now there's a happy life, isn't it? But... I love that word. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own, there it is, mercy. He has been, the fact that He said, you will surely die and Methuselah live for 900 years shows you the amazing mercy of God. When just two generations away was an entire world that God would physically save eight people out of. That is mercy. Kind of gives light as to why the discussions have gone on. Okay, if you can, you can find me 50 good people, I'll hold off. Okay, 40. Okay, 30. Okay, let's, let's get five, right? That's what God's saying in so many different ways, shaped in the history of humanity. Why? So that we would know we need redemption from this entire personal and worldly circumstance we're in. And he's been providing the signal for that Redeemer since Genesis 3.15, right? Noah was named because they hoped he would be the one that would provide relief. If you go look at his name. Just beautiful here. His own mercy, but the washing, and here you see the triune God, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's our sanctification, our salvation, our justification. That washing, that regeneration, and that ministry of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us scantily, richly. And the way to think about it is that God has poured into us, as Peter was, everything necessary for life and godliness. But the question becomes, in this put on and put off, are we appropriating what God has already provided or are we just letting it lay there out of love for this sin or tolerance of that sin versus going to war? And you all know you've got blind spots to some of these sins. I do. I need my wife. I've told my wife. I'll say it in public. If I go chasing after sin, she goes chasing after John David and David Thompson or Grady or anybody else to bring me back. And that's how I'll know how much she loves me. Because we've all got them. 
And I think within the beauty of the marriage, we find the sweetest place to go to war with that sin because nobody knows me like my wife. So that being justified, one time, boom, justified, right, Jeffrey? Uh, justification is not this big, long, you know, test that we've got to pass. Justification says, he believed in my son, he's saved. And then comes sanctification. And that's what I'm trying to help us see here. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. John 17, 17, slide to the right. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's the Lord praying to God the Father saying, sanctify them. How? In your word, because your word is truth. Where should we be all the time together as a church taking the word of God and applying it to our life? Not as a preference, but as an absolute mandate, just like we've been given the mandate to take that word to all the world. But if the church isn't doing it, what in the world are we doing out in the world with it? Showing ourselves to be the big H word, right? Or you bring the gospel down to the full counsel of God and you bring it down to just come on down here, say your little prayer and you'll be good to go. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Just, just remember that date. Remember that prayer. Right? Never heard that, have you, Mark, in the prison? <laughs> Talk about a stronghold. I'm telling you. And who do we do that most to? The little ones. Hebrews 10.14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are what? Being sanctified. Love that. Right? Justification, you're perfected, you're going to glory, no doubt about it. But you're being sanctified, you're being conformed to Christ over the course of your life. And that conformance is measured by how you apply this very scriptures, the word that became truth, the word that became flesh, right? And apply it to our lives. And that's what I'm saying. We need the church for that. And that's why God gave it to us. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have that peace that Mr. Grinnell was talking about. With God, through our Lord, Jesus Christ, despite all the storms that are coming at you in our, our I know, enough of us to know there are storms swirling in our lives right now. Ephesians 4, 17, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the what? There's that futility that we find in Romans 1. And I think part of that futility is thinking that we can actually get away and out from under this God. That is the most futile thought, is it not? That's why they're shaking their fist in the book of Revelation, saying, just bring the stones down on me. I will not submit to you. 
Ephesians 4, 24. Here is a counselor's passage right here. It's a constant in biblical counseling. Put off your old self. Get him out of your face. And I, here's what I want you to The brand new believer that comes to Christ, he, that old man, that old woman is right here. Is it, are they not? And all those sins, they're right here. And they need the believers in the church, the more mature believers. This is where the old-timey saints are a treasure in the church because they bring all that wisdom from life into the life of a brand new believer. That's what we need to be for each other. which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So look at your desires, look at your motives, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Go to the Word of God and see what God's Word has to say about that, right? Whatever that is that's, that's dogging you. And to put on the new self created, listen to the beauty of this created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness have you ever met the people who don't even have to know you and just really don't want to be around you it's because this will show if you're living this life and it shows up like what is it about you and it's spoken in a way that I don't like it whatever it is but what is it about you and it's because the life that Christ brings out of us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is another testimony, just like the Scriptures, into the life of someone who is loving their sin and knows they are condemned. Right? Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, this is the passage that just launched me down this whole path, so you can blame Paul for it. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, keep pushing that old man away. Remember the I have been crucified. Hang on that, right? No pun intended, but it, it, it was a pretty good pun. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of what? The upward call. And that was the picture, right? We come into salvation loaded with sin. And as we put off sin and we put on righteousness, we begin to move up that upward call. We begin to manifest what we're going to be when we get to glory. And I, I had to think hard about this. Tina and I talked about this. What about the person that's saved into an absolutely horrendous church? And how many of them are out there? And we see them in biblical counseling. They, they, listen to Dr. MacArthur. Go to the Ligonier survey. You will be shocked at what the, quote, evangelical church believes today. At best, 50% believe the scriptures are from God and true. 55% believe that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. 
55% believe that Jesus was not God. This is a brand new, extensive survey of people who identify as evangelical Christians right now. You think we don't need the gospel? And God is saving people in those churches. And many of them need to come out of those churches because they are not teaching the gospel. And we find them when their lives are on the rocks. So let's end here, up at the top. I just love how this is a well-known, the golden chain of redemption. Some, many call it the old-timey saints. But let's just end with Romans 8 and Hebrews 12 here, tied together. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Boy, that's, that's that hated doctrine. Because man's dead. And apart from that divine work of the Father through his electing work and then speaking truth into your life, pointing to you to the Son, and the Holy Spirit regenerating your soul to life, you're dead. But this is this beautiful work. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And because he justified them, they're as good as what? You don't even see sanctification in there. They're as good as glorified. Do you think about that, Jeffrey? I do. <laughs> it's a long ways. But man, there's going to come a day wherever the Lord conformed you to him, when you go to be before him, and we work out all that he's going to work out on that final day, we're going to be in glory. Right back to that beginning state, right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and then we'll end here. Therefore, since we are surrounded, and here we come, by so great a cloud of witnesses, those that give testimony to the power of the gospel in their lives, let us lay aside every weight, see where Paul's focus, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, because you've already won the race. Because he's already won the race. The founder and perfecter of our faith, which is God-given, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Boy, look at the face of our Lord as he's going to that cross, realizing he is going to break the capillaries in his face. But it's joy to him because he's going to redeem those whom the Father has given him. It is a love gift, which we are just the undeserving beneficiaries of. And if anything motivates us to be that body of Christ, that should do it, right? And here's the picture of the Lord that we're given. For the joy that is set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And all the church says... Amen. Thank you, guys. That was a little shade for, for uh, we'll return probably uh, next week or the following to our final section of Romans 1. So enjoy your worship.